What's up, everybody? This is Ryan Staley, and you are listening to the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom Podcast, where we share with you the underground ninja skills and tactics the top sales and marketing leaders are using to create financial and lifestyle freedom. And the question that everybody is asking is, how do I create financial and lifestyle freedom for me? That is the question, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Sales and Marketing Build Freedom Show. I have a very special guest on today. I have Brad Seaman. Brad is the CEO of Monster Connect and co-founder, and he serves as a CEO managing day-to-day operations, as well as the strategic direction of the business. He's helped start two other companies, second-generation call center technology pioneer, and is a graduate of Olivet Nazarene. Brad, welcome to have you on the show, man. Hey, awesome. I feel like I need to make a disclaimer. I still have one class to take to be an official graduate. Oh, you didn't graduate? I got one. I have one. I have a math class to take. I feel like my mom's going to listen to this. And if I didn't, if I didn't correct you, she would call me. She's going to call you. Dude, how can you stop one class short? Like, I'm sorry. I didn't. I well, so I, <laughs> I got, I'll tell you how it happened. I got out. It's how I, it's how I got started, how I began to start businesses. So I got out of school. I was planning to go to grad school. And um, I was doing, um, I was basically taking this class over the summer and I'm working for the family business. And my brother comes outside and says, Hey, I fired the chief operating officer and I need you to come in, like take your jeans off and your b- dirty boots. And I need you to come in and run this thing for the, for a couple of weeks while I go on vacation. And so I came inside and started running a 400 person call center and okay. I uh, had to cancel the class, and then I just never got. Then I just never made. I just never got back to to finishing the class. So I walked. I have I have the the box um, with the degree, but it's not in there. And then I got <laughs> my mom and my best friend's mom. My best friend's mom, who works at the, or mother in law, works at the university. And every time I see her, she she's always like, "Hey, have you gotten your?" Class? I'm like, "No, I don't got it." So at some point, I have a college student now. Who I who I said, hey, if you don't act right, I'm gonna go back to your school and get my degree. So um, we're gonna be in class together. If you if you if you start acting wrong, I'm gonna show up. But that's how that happened. Good for you, so. man. Well, so I love that. I love you sharing with that a little little vulnerability to kick off the show. You know, I've never told. I, you're like that, everybody knows now. So I guess <laughs> if I put that on my, if I ever had to go get a job and I put that on there, I could be perjured, be terminated. <laughs> well, but I don't think that's going to happen, man. Because you, you know, you what? Uh, probably not going to happen. Two, three companies. So, give us your superhero origin story. I'd love to hear that. Love to hear a little bit more about Brad and uh, how you came into becoming the CEO of a thriving business. Yeah. So, um, kind of the way that it started. You know, there's definitely lots of entrepreneurial leanings. So, as I'm going through, my my family was very entrepreneurial. So I got my, my dad, my brother, um, kind of starting stuff was, uh, maybe our, our natural, uh, leanings. And so it was just kind of in there. Um, I went to college, was planning on, uh, going into, um, going a different direction. And I came home for the summer and I got thrown into kind of the family business. And then that would lead to, uh, one thing and then I'd spin out my own thing. And then, you know, I'd eventually, uh, you know, maybe have another, I'd have another venture there in the middle and I'd eventually get what Monster Connect is today. But it really all started, the, the idea of the business started, you know, probably 
you know, 10 years before I founded it because I, my initial jobs were, uh, as, as, uh, being in a family business would be running the call center product. So my dad and, and, and my brother both had call centers. Um, initially those call centers were doing lead generation for mortgage companies and I would run the night shift. So they would, um, I'd come in initially and I would, um, at the time, you have all these clients and we have an outbound dialer and somebody would have to make sure that everybody had stuff to call on. And so there was a constant kind of moving data in and out. You had to load data, you had to export data, you had to do reporting. You had to make sure that the system ran consistently. So that was my first job. And that's really where, um, and then what, what came up with, with the way that I Monster Connect sort of comes to be is that the family call, the, my dad's call center specifically was known for what they call a live lead transfer. So this is back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, kind of pre uh, do not call list. But what his, his company would do is they'd call a homeowner, they'd get, hey, you want to refinance your house, take cash out, buy a fishing boat, um, you know, go on a vacation, remodel. Um, they would generate a lead and then they'd give it to the mortgage company. And at some point they start doing a live lead transfer where they'd say, Hey, Ryan, great. Sounds like you're excited. Uh, sounds like you probably pre-qualify. Let us connect you to the Wells Fargo rep or whoever we were calling for. And then they transfer you in that transfer process. And then running all the call center software. Um, that's really where my kind of pre-fascination with, um, what I would say the pre-fascination with software and technology working together. Cause you just had all these people that were interacting. Uh, with the call center software in, in kind of unique ways. And, um, as we, I'd get into, uh, having an outsourced appointment setting business. And, um, that was super difficult. I think I told you early kind of in the, in the pre conversation here, that was challenging because it was, it was so subjective. Um, you know, what is a good appointment? You know, I can have a great conversation and then hand it off to you. And, and it's not as easy as, you know, give me the revenue numbers, the employee size and um, somebody that meets all this criteria. Sales is not good. Sales is not that linear. Um, there's a lot that goes into what makes a good lead. Um, and so that kind of struggle, really trying to grow that business is where I got to Monster Connect, which essentially Monster Connect is a software application uh, and the way that I like to describe it is um, every year it gets harder and harder to get people on the phone and B2B traditional, even even today, AI technology uh, can't bring context to conversations. So the B2B environment is really complex. You've got gatekeepers, phone trees, uh, you've got multi office locations, um, and there's all these places where you have to make kind of micro decisions. So phone gets picked up and you're trying to reach Kelly, the guy, and you got Kelly, the girl, or you're trying to reach Ryan and you got Ryan's admin, Cindy, or you're trying to reach Ryan and you got Dave. So there's all these little conversations, the little things, little decisions that you make when you phone prospect. Um, there are also things that create barriers that make it hard to get the contacts. And so what we did kind of that early pre-fascination with the software and the people is that we developed this application that when a human is needed, a human's brought in to make that contextual decision. And then what it looks like for a sales guy is a salesperson can talk to eight to 12 people in an hour, make a hundred to 200 phone calls, um, but not have to spend all that time. So 
uh, all the decision making, all the dialing, all the, the absorbing all the time, that's all done by our by our application, which is a combination of the technology and the people. Awesome, man. Love that. Love that uh the background and and you know for for those that are listening, like you the listener, can you explain like how would you define because really what we're we're getting the core of is and I've heard this, like I told you, Max Altschuler uh from Outreach and who's the, the creator of Sales Hacker, the founder of Sales Hacker, he said that you know one of the top four plays that he would do to create a company is create an outbound prospecting strategy, right? That he said that's the core of it. So, like, how? Of course, he might be a little biased. We, we love Max, but he might be a little biased. I'm just saying, but um, but how, so, how would you define outbound prospecting? Oh, you're, you're proactively reaching. So you're reaching out. So you're, okay. you've identified somebody that you think's probably a good fit. They may not be in market, but they're a good fit versus I think inbound. If you define outbound and you turn around and define inbound, I think what happens in inbound is you typically have people that are a good fit, but they're not always in the, they're, not, they're, they're ready to buy, but they're not always a good fit. And so I right. think that's on the outbound perspective, you're able to look kind of topically and say, okay, I think this company is a good match for us. But then you get into like, you know, what's the budget? What's the timeline? Can they buy versus inbound is typically people are ready to buy, um, but they're not always a great fit. And um, I think the advantage to outbound and outbound gets a lot of heat. And I actually don't know why. Um, now, I, I had heard somebody talk about uh, this. I don't know if it's referred to as decision bias, but basically what you say and what you do being two separate things. So people say they don't buy things on the outbound. And they don't like to be phone prospected, but that doesn't seem to sync up with the um, CEOs and sales reps and executives and uh, companies that I know that are growing on outbound. Um, you know, outbound grows sales. I mean, if you make if you make phone calls and you have conversations, conversations lead to appointments, appointments lead to demos, demos lead to trials, trials lead to sales. Um, you know, there's definitely people who come and go, people who come on the scene and say that it's not a numbers game. Um, but I, I think, I think sales is a numbers game. I mean, I think if you look at the math, um, you know, it comes down to the number of opportunities that you have, uh, and you just start working, you know, you start working backwards. So, um, yeah, so I, so I think, you know, I would define outbound as you're proactively, you're finding a company that you think is a good fit and you're going after that, you're going after that account. And then the channel you use might be phone, might be email, might be LinkedIn, um, but it's, I would determine it as pre-identified targets. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, you know, one of the things that, that, um, I've seen is like, you know, I think sales comes down to three things, right? It's quality, quantity, and speed, right? And those are the three most important factors, uh, for any kind of like sales cycle. And one of the folks that I interviewed, he was talking and then he looked over I don't know, 47 different companies or no, it was like 74 different companies. And he said the number one, like, what's the number one reason why the ones that failed did? And he's like, because they didn't have an outbound strategy in their first year. They were trying to do inbound. And so, like, if you don't have a brand established, inbound's more of a long game, right? And then, um, but, like, if you look at it too, Brad, like, even if, because I, I look at it from both sides. So, like, even if you look at it from the whole thing of, like, let's say Facebook ads or some other kind of ads, those are an interruption, as well, they're just a different. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. So I don't know. I, I think I think they're more closer line than a lot of people would would state. You know, so 
Go ahead. Were you going to say, Matthew? Yeah, no, I just rolled my eyes because I'm just like, you know, how many times have you read an article and you're like, that was a waste of time? Hey, you don't turn around and yell at the about, you know, you don't yell at the ebook, right? <laughs> Maybe they do. Maybe they do yell at the ebook. There are some people that yell at the ebooks. There might be some people that yell at them. I love that. The um, um, so, so walk me through that, Matt. Why do you think outbound prospecting is important? Um, well, yeah. So that's a that's a good question. Well, I think it I think it's something that you can control, which I think is important. So um, I think having something in your environment that you can control is super important. Uh, I think that's why I get up in the morning and make my bed. That's why you hear people, uh, you know, in kind of the uh, self help improvement. So I will talk to you about things that you can you can physically do to be in control. So I think outbound is important because it does put you in a position of control. You're doing something proactive. I think the other thing too is that um, I and I don't want to sound like um, kind of far out there, but I I read an article or I I, uh, I don't know if it was an article or video. I had a guy. I read a blog post one time on LinkedIn of a founder who talked about the correlation or the connection between making phone calls and revenue and, and what his, um, his conclusion will be is that he didn't actually, in this particular situation, he said, I didn't close business that I prospected, but my revenue went up. And when I stopped prospecting, my revenue went down. And I do think there's a le- level of that is that you're out there working and creating action and actions. Uh, now, most of the time, if you're not getting the results, you're probably not doing the work. Um, one of my favorite quotes is by Roger Pinsky, and he says, um, actions equal results. Um, but that, you know, that's, that's the case, right? I mean, if you're not doing the work, you're not going to be getting um, the results. Um, so I think it's important because it puts you in control. I think there's some other advantages to it as well. Uh, typically inbound leads are going to be, they're going to close easier. They may stay longer in some scenarios, but they're also, the margins are going to be tighter. Um, you're going to have a different kind of, you're going to have a different kind of buyer. Um, outbound buyers tend to, tend to be more profitable. Um, sales cycles a little longer. They're not as competitive. Um, you are educating. You're typically, uh, selling a deal at some level of, on some relationship versus the inbound. They're just different buyers. It's, I, I, I think that we, we have a tendency to put inbound versus outbound and be like, once, you need to be doing all of it. It's all, it's all the things that it takes to get a sale. Uh, and it's just, a different, it's just a different method. I think you need to, be, you need to have a diversified go-to market strategy. Um, and I think it's, it's the larger the company gets, um, the less you're talking about whether inbound, inbound and outbound work. You know, it's at the small level. It's when you have a, when you have a, a mark, you know, it's when you have kind of unidentified people running departments, I think, where whether inbound and outbound, you know, which is better sort of becomes an argument. But I think once you get large, once you get larger and you have a defined uh, group of people doing it, it typically is, is contributing significantly to a, um, to the number. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, man. So, so across it, you know, Monster Cracks has been around for how long? Is it like eight years? Yep, about eight years. Okay, so you've been around for seven years, and uh, you know, obviously, you've been around longer than that. But I mean, <laughs> well, hold on. I mean, it's probably so. So the reason why I sort of I just went with a number. So I started the business out on a third party product. Um, so it was not a product that we owned. And and seven years ago, we'll create our own product. And I really consider it 
that's really the starting point because prior to that, we were really a service business. So I like to think about it as like, hey, we've been a software company for, for, you know, roughly, roughly seven years, um, where we developed and built our own application, you know, own the code, own the direction of the business. Um, prior to that, we were, I was really just running a, a service business on somebody else's product. Okay. Which was great to get started on, but, um, Hello, and I appreciate you listening to the show today. I love my listeners, and I love helping my customers. One of the things that I've been able to do with some of the customers that I've been working with is, for example, a $6 million SaaS company, help them implement a seven-figure sales system in which they got a one-and-a-half-month ROI on the entire engagement fee that I offered them by one person spending 25% of their time. And this person wasn't even in sales. So these are core principles that help me scale from zero to $30 million in annual recurring revenue with only four people. In addition, another client that I'm working with was able to 10X their licensing fee, their SaaS licensing fee. um, And they are really, really just on the early side of starting. So if you're interested in learning more, apply through www dot scalerevenue.io forward slash apply www.scalerevenue.io forward slash apply look forward to seeing your application if you are interested and qualify you'll receive a follow-up note and we can jump on the phone and identify what the opportunity is exactly for you and your organization well so let me ask you this brad so overall um you, you don't have to share this but i'm just trying to to frame up how many scenarios for this next question that I'm about to ask you. How many people have you been involved with from a, an outbound sales process? Because that's a big part. You know, Monster Connect's a big part. So, like, how many companies, people? Oh, I mean, hundreds, of hundreds, of content, hundreds of people, hundreds of companies. I mean, I've, okay. I've essentially been been in the outbound space for, you know, since 2005. Okay, love it. College. Love it. So, so you've looked across hundreds of companies, probably thousands of people when it comes to outbound prospecting. And so like my question for you is like, what is the best outbound prospecting strategy you've seen and then why? One you do consistently. That's I mean, most it? People, that's it. I mean, most people don't. I mean, are, so is the question kind of, I know you prepped me on the question, so I've been like turning the gears on this. <laughs> I, I think most people, you know, fail to get results because it's like the gym. I mean, if you show me somebody that goes to the gym consistently and has a good diet and then show me somebody and show me that same person not getting results, I just don't think it exists. I mean, when you go to the gym, you see people doing maybe the wrong, like I asked the guy, I was at the gym the other day, um, s- s- sitting down with, uh, you know, one of the guys that runs the gym. And I said, hey, what's the difference between people that get results and don't get results? And he said, well, a lot of people that don't get results just stay on the treadmill. You know, they're not actually, and they, and they have bad diets. And I think the same thing is true to outbound. It's like outbound comes down to two things. Working out comes down, based on, you know, my, my experience, comes down to eating healthy and, and, and working out consistently. And I think that same thing applies with outbound, but the, the narrative is slightly different. It comes down to data and it comes down to activity. So you got diet and exercise and you have data and activity. And if you hone in on your targets and then you hone in on your delivery mechanisms, whether those be, you know, outbound, you're going to get results. Uh, we could argue about, you know, all the different strategies, 
you know, but, but I think some of the most creative things really are probably just around, you know, data, data creation and development. And I think ultimately the data piece is, is probably the most, I would say is the most important piece of the whole thing is like, you can't, especially with all the technology that exists today, um, to identify, you know, whether you think about those as intent or in market buyers, or you think about just the reams of data that exist. Um, you know, one of the things that we found to be really successful is job post. You know, if you go to the job post, there's no NDA, HR, there's no NDA. Oh, maybe there will be after I say this, but there's no NDA on the HR department, right? Uh, go type, go top, go type in top secret into the job post and see what comes up. I mean, you'll be like, can't believe they can't believe they put that out there. Um, what? But, what do you mean? I'm losing. So go to a job head. post and type in top. Okay, let me back up. So <laughs> I I believe the job post, like what's okay. in the physical job post, is probably some of the best data that you can find. Okay, because if you read that. through a job description, so I'm on LinkedIn. We're going to hire somebody. You know whether that person's in HR or IT. And then we're going to put out a post. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to try to entice somebody to work for us, whatever company it is, right? Um, if you print out the job descriptions over a period of time or the job post, you can put together a pretty deep go to market strategy on who's a good fit for you. And if you type, if you look at all that, it's just a big old giant list of the jobs that somebody has to do. So if you start reading those backwards, you can start really understanding what that company is in, in, in need or in market for. And if you read multiple like reams of those, like if you just start reading the job posts for an organization, you can really get an understanding of what their problems are because they're talking about them in the job post. And so what I, I find really interesting is that, you know, like take Eli Lilly, for example. Um, we could go down to Eli Lilly and they make us sign an NDA. But if you read through the job post, you can figure out what they're going to market with in the next, you know, 90 to 90 days to six months because they're trying to entice you. So they're saying all kinds of stuff that, you know, now some of them like top secret, we can't tell you. But I, I have read a lot of job descriptions that make me laugh because I'm like, you know, I can't believe that you guys would put this information out on the, you know, on the Internet um, for somebody to read. Dude, that is like you are the first person I've ever talked to that has leveraged job descriptions for that. Um, so well, most of the time, people argue with me about it not. Be, I, I'm I'm not convinced that there's not that that's not the best intent data that exists because what typically happens is you know think about like funding. If you if you're going to get funding, once they release the funding information, you already got it right, and you probably already spent it. So you said you've been through. A, couple PE experiences. So the typical funding scenario is, you know, uh, most people spend money before they have it just naturally. So um, you're going to do a funding round. So they immediately start throwing out job posts of like who they're going to hire, right? We need a VP of set and they don't even have it yet, right? Because we can can call the dogs off if it doesn't work. So immediately you got, you're talking to people that are potentially getting ready to raise money and you're in on the front end of this before the releases come out, when the release comes out and says, "Hey, we raised twenty-four million dollars," you're one of a lot. You're one of like ten guys that are about to be, you know, in this person's inbox, or of a hundred guys. So I'm convinced that so the job posts I I think apply to almost everything. I think most people aren't patient enough to read through them to try to understand what they're actually saying because you can't read a job post 
for face value, you got to read it backwards. Like you got to read it and you got to every statement that's made, you have to like ask yourself, why are they telling you this? Like, what are they trying to tell you? Then you can assemble a story. And if you, if you, if you look at an account and you read through the post then you're like, okay, here's what's happening with this company. Here are the challenges this company is having. Um, and then there's just also other just like rich information in there. Like, for example, um, you know, if, if somebody says, you know, they'll post for an SDR position and, um, they'll say who, who that person reports to. And there's lots of really good information in the post. Like they typically talk about the position. So let's say you're trying to go after a VP of sales. I'm just using this as an example. Um, you know, the person you might talk, may want to talk to in the job description, or let's use an SDR. You might call it an SDR, but this company you're prospecting calls it an inside sales rep. Well, you wouldn't want to refer to it as an SDR because they don't know what that is, or at least that's not what they refer to it as, right? So, so you can now start to understand the language in which your account thinks about the things that they're talking about. Cause somebody, you know, I mean, you can take it for everything. Like just think about all the business language that you have to translate when you're talking to a prospective client, right? You're selling them something. And then really quickly as a sales guy, you're trying to figure out what is this person saying? And then you're, you're transcribing it into the words that you know. And at some point you get some common language, right? But if you go read the job description, you can go figure out how they talk about whatever it is you're trying to sell them, right? And it could be anything. It could be accounting software. It could be sales. It could be IT. Um, you know, you can't assume that when you talk, talk in your language about what you do, you can't assume that they understand what you're saying. So if you go to the job post, it's, a, it's, it's basically like a snippet of their tribal language that they're about to spit off to you. So I, I so, I, you know. Yeah. So how do you turn that into revenue? I guess like I, I get the core concept, but like how do you scalably turn that into revenue or like maybe that's just an example, but like of leveraging data, you said it's the most important thing. Like how's like, well, you know, I mean, I know for us and I, and I don't know how much, I mean, I guess at this point I'm, I'm, uh, I might as well share the strategy. Somebody's got to do it. Right. Um, so for us, we've, you know, we've been able to take the job post and identify companies that are pro outbound, right? So, so they, they say they're in the, in the job descriptions, what, you know, what they expect their sales reps to do. And, um, you know, the way that we used to go to market is that we just grab a big old list, which is what most people do, right? You know, they, they get a big, they get a big giant list. They get a list of, you know, target industries and then they call into those industries and they hope they look like all the other companies that they talk to. Well, with phone prospecting, you know, that's not always the case. Now, everybody, every company doesn't phone prospect. And so um, you can take those job descriptions and figure out who's going to be more likely to be receptive to your message um, by reading through, you know, trying to pick up little breadcrumbs. And I think it applies to a lot of stuff. I mean, it doesn't just apply to outbound, you know, outbound SDRs. Um, there's a lot of data that you can find on, on positions. Like you can go to zoom and find out, you know, companies that are hiring for this position or that position. I don't think that's important. I think that doesn't bring a lot of value. I think what's important is being able to read the story that they're telling and then using that story when you talk to the client on two fronts, one common language, but two, you also understand their pain. 
because a job post is nothing but a pain description. They have a problem that's so bad they want to hire somebody to fix it. And if you read it, then you could call them up and say, hey, I know these things about you. And a lot of times, sometimes people will be like, well, that's not our problem. It's obviously your problem because, you know, you wrote about it. Um, but the job posts become this great sort, this resource for you to, to as a salesperson, you know, you're, we're, we're taught uh, sometimes. And maybe I was told by somebody that I'm unique because I don't think about, like, I don't make a lot of decisions. Sometimes, but I make a lot of buying decisions based on what the future could look like, not what the pain looks like today. And so, um, but most people do look at pain, right? They're pain motivated. So if you go through, you, you probably are going to teach people. Uh, you probably train your team. You've probably been trained, you know, really try to find the pain points. And I think in a lot of cases, in most cases, that is true, right? So, so what I would say is like, hey, any problem that you have, you want to build a data set and you want to figure out a story that you can tell that prospect. Because I think prospecting comes down when you, particularly when you phone prospect or even when you email, I think it comes down to, uh, I believe that everybody tells us, says the same thing to them when they get a phone call or an email, who the heck is this? And why the heck are you calling me? Or why the heck are you emailing me? That's why they say, who is this? Who, what'd you say your name was? You know, they listen to you and they go, who is this? And the better your brand is, the better, the better that conversation goes, right? That's why branding is really important. So, so I believe that the better you can answer those two questions, who you are and why you're calling, the better likelihood that you are to sell to that prospect. And in a, in the use case that I always use is like, would you rather be, uh, would you rather sell storm insurance or whether you'd rather be a storm chaser? And I would say, hey, you want to be a storm chaser because if you go into a neighborhood and say you don't have a roof, it looks, uh, I happen to look through your window there and I see you got a little leak. That's a whole lot better sale than like, hey, let me sell you on your roof leaking in the future. And that's what these job boards allow you to do is they allow you to be a, you got me on a soapbox, Ryan. They allow you to be a storm chaser. That's good, man. So real quick, we're, we're getting, I love it. No, it's a different angle of it. I haven't heard talks about, so it's totally. I've never, heard anybody, I've never heard anybody talk about it. I'm a, I'm and a so, so just to whittle it down, because we're just about up on time, but I want to, I want to go full circle on this. So, you know, our, the best, the best way to look at the story of the position that you're, you're prospecting for. So it's consistency, right? And then it's leveraging basically the pain description in the, in the job. But it could be anything. It could be, I mean, you got to get the data set right. So it could be anything, right? It could be, you just got to figure out what causes some, most people don't think about what causes somebody to buy from them. Like organizations have their own, I know we like to think about buyers being individual, like decision makers, which is true, but companies still also buy because they have their own unique culture and they have these multiple layers of decision makers that work together as a, as like a tribe to make a decision. So I don't, I really disagree when people try to oversimplify the, the complexity of a B2B buying decision. Um, it's, it'd be the same. It's just, it's different. There's layers and there's not layers and you don't have to go check with your wife to buy Netflix. You know, you just buy it. And maybe she get mad at you. Maybe she gets mad at you after you buy it. But in a business, you buy a, you know, you buy something that you don't get right off on. You're going to get, you know, you could get fired. Right. So it is a different, it is a different, it is a different process. So, so what tools would you use to help extract or to leverage for a data set then? Um, I mean, there's tons of great, 
there's tons of great data tools. Um, you know, I'm not super, so, so cause we're tight on time, I would say, Hey, zoom info on the data side. What, and I think you asked this and I probably didn't. One of the best practices that I see a lot of successful sales teams execute is research teams. So having a team that's dedicated, you can outsource that or you can do that, but having a team that's dedicated to identifying targets, um, and building lists and understand, you know, going out and validating that the data, you know, identifying that the data is, the companies are good, identifying that the contacts are the right decision makers, you know, versus just randomly dialing. Uh, I think the core success, um, I know I stunned you with my, uh, with my response of like, you know, the, the best outbound process is one that you do. But, um, but I think the thing that most successful teams have in place is they've got some kind of data team or they've got a, just a really sophisticated data product, right? You can, you can stitch together a lot of products to get, um, get the right kind of data. I'd read Zoom Info has got a really good post on, um, kind of how they identify accounts. Okay, cool, man. Well, we're just about up on time. So where can people find you? Where can people learn more about you if they want to learn about you? Or yeah, you know, probably the best way is on LinkedIn. Um, you go to, go to, you know, type in Brad Seaman. There's not a lot of us out there. Um, so uh, Brad Seaman Monster Connect on LinkedIn or, uh, you know, always I respond to, to emails. So uh, bseaman at monsterconnect.com. Excellent, man. Well, it was awesome having you on the show. Love the different perspective. That like I wasn't expecting. So so great job, man. <laughs> great job. Um, but right, it was well, awesome having it. you on the show, and uh, look forward to talking again soon, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. Thank you for spending the time with me today. I know that time is one of the most valuable resources, so I truly honor and appreciate you coming along this journey with me. One of the things that I want to ask you is if you really truly enjoyed this and know someone that this can make an impact on, please share this episode with them. If you're on a journey for financial and lifestyle freedom, it is always exponentially better if we're building a tribe with like-minded people who are on the same journey. In addition, I have an amazing PDF for you that could be career changing in terms of the content. Essentially what it is are the top 10 questions that every big customer is asking behind closed doors that no one is telling you about. I'll put a link for it in the show notes. So check it out. It's my free gift for you for being a part of this launch and being a part of this journey with me. And I hope to see you soon.